Hey, how's it going, everybody? You're listening to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Mm, thank you so much for joining us. For the final week of Nintendo Month 2021, this is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. For the last week of November, as we close out Nintendo Month, which this is just, I've had so much fun uh, this year. I think it's this has been a, been a fantastic a month. Nintendo Month. And I think we have uh, a thoroughly delightful and quintessential uh, Nintendo-themed episode today. Carl, yes. why don't you explain to our listeners what we have in store for them today? We're calling it Forgotten Mushrooms, and it's basically going through a bunch of games in the Super Mario series and playing tracks we forgot to play so far. <laughs> it's leftovers yeah. <laughs> from one of our favorite series when it comes to games, when it comes to music. Um, so the first game we have on the list chronologically is Super Mario Brothers 2, and the last game we have on the list is Odyssey. And so we're not playing tracks from every single game because there's a few of them we've literally played everything from, which makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. But yeah, this is, a, this is a fun list. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, considering how much we love Nintendo, how much we love Kochi Kondo, uh, it's surprising that, you know, we haven't played every track from every Mario game. Some of them um, are big, but, though. Yeah, but what's fun about today's episode is I think because the, the Mario series is so central in our minds in terms of how we think about, you know, game music. And I think very central in our minds when we think about this podcast, quite frankly. I think because Absolutely. of that, there are a lot that have slipped through the cracks because we just assume that we've played them and discussed them. And I'm sure, you know, there are some we probably could have included um, that we didn't of things that we played maybe once in the yeah. early, you know, one or two years of the podcast. Yeah, so to make it extra is, fun, the, the rules that I had is we literally couldn't have played it ever. So everything on this right. playlist we've never played. And some of it boggles my mind. Yeah, I'm I would look forward to, you know, someday not necessarily redoing episodes cuz redo maybe implies that we didn't do a good job, but just for the sake of my own entertainment, I would love to go back to just quintessential soundtracks like these and just do another yeah, episode exploring absolutely. them cuz I just feel like I, I don't know, it's so refreshing to go back to classic with a capital C video game soundtracks like Well, this. and what's I mean, cool about so today is amazing. there's a lot of examples of I guess I would say deep cuts or just deeper cuts um and there's a lot of great music that is on this episode that it wouldn't be the first thing you would play if you were going to do a spotlight um, but yeah, it's 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 great fodder for today. So yeah, and I think we'll be able to explore sides of the kind of Mario series musically that maybe aren't talked about as much. Whether it's um, slightly more dissonant or experimental pieces, or music from composers other than Koji Kondo that mm-hmm. bring maybe a slightly different genre twist or a different approach to the music that has since really taken hold or maybe influenced the style of the series in a profound way. So I think the the discussion we'll have around this music will hopefully be as interesting as the music itself. 
And what a perfect way to play in. That was Star Maze, a very funky and dancey track, underappreciated track from Super Mario Land 2, composed by Kazumi Tataka. Um, after that, let's go back to chronologically the first game we're featuring today. We're playing a medley from Super Mario Bros. 2. And the only music that we hadn't played on that trilogy episode or other episodes over the years is Encounter with Wart and Victory. So let's play this very short medley of two pieces of music from Super Mario Bros. 2 composed by Koji Kondo. We did it, everyone. Congratulations. <laughs> that was a very <laughs> short medley for Mario Brothers 2. So we had played Birdo before, um, but we hadn't played Encounter with Wart before. So uh, yeah, very classic stuff. Wart, what a silly antagonist <laughs> just for this game. <laughs> kind of like a rip-off yeah, Bowser. Well, and what's interesting is, you know, Wart as a character, the, he's this sort of frog, this frog king, I guess, Um mm-hmm. I think he comes from the it's because you know the game was originally Doki Doki Panic and Wart is the the villain there. Yeah, and I those characters I think were all from they weren't Nintendo characters they were from some I, I'm I'm remembering it faintly but it's it was some sort of short lived. I don't know if it was like a TV marathon in Japan or it was some kind of these characters were designed to promote some kind of big spectacle. And the game was almost like a a tie in promoting something else. It was this like cross platform, a, a, a kind of bizarre singular. It, it, one of those things that you don't expect to stand the test of time. And, and I think and they did rebranded <laughs> as Super Mario Brothers 2 is the yeah. best thing that could have ever happened to Doki Doki Panic because I think without that, people wouldn't be well, talking about cool it. The cool thing about it is the game, the, you know, the gameplay, just how fun it is, the music was all really, you know, deserving of all those people to, to experience it and play it. it it's just. I love Mario Brothers 2. I think it's a really quirky and super fun game. Yeah, and it's just interesting historically. I think if Mario Brothers 2 had never been um, released that way or thought of as a Mario game, I do think eventually, you know, from a historical perspective, people would have gone back and said, you know, it's interesting, you know, a year after they made Super Mario Brothers, Shigeru Miyamoto created the side-scrolling platform game. They got Koji Kondo to that do kind the of music. Felt yeah, like it the feels sequel. Yeah. like there was a reason they did it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, just just great boss music followed by a really fun jazzy jingle. Yeah. There's a couple things I want to talk about. This um, this 
the boss music is is so I think prototypical of Kondo's approach in this era. Um, it's very high energy, but but simple music. In that mm-hmm. uh, it's it's still kind of the these memorable melodic shapes and rhythms. He uses a lot of parallel fourths, which we've talked about before. Um, he is as is, is kind of an approach he likes to use when underscoring danger or tension. Um, but what I love about this is harmonically, it's very similar to, I feel like, what he would do in, you know, the Zelda series, particularly. It sort of foreshadows a little bit like Link to the Past, and it reminds me a little bit of some of the music to like Shin Onigashima. But the thing that I think in that particular music that still makes it Mario is the syncopated nature of it. Dun, 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 well, and also dun, dun, he does the dun, same dun, syncopation dun, dun. in the Birdo theme too. So rhythmically, right. it's these two themes are, are related. Um, well, and the last thing, that little victory jingle is so cute and perfectly it's adorable. In the spirit. It's really in the spirit of the overworld theme, this sort of fun ragtime twenties novelty music. But one of my favorite uses of that tune outside of this game is uh, the hit points in their cover of the yes. Mario World athletic theme. They actually use that little victory from Super Mario as their Brothers ending. 2 as, yeah, a little coda kind of ending. So and perfect. it fits perfectly because they're both in that same idiom, and it's another, you know, using a Koji Kondo melody from the series to end it is, I think, just so fitting. So we actually have a total of three medleys today, and they're actually back-to-back is just how it worked out. So we're going to move to uh, a medley from Super Mario Brothers 3 and there's three pieces that we've never played <laughs> from the score this medley is Iceland Pipe Maze those are both map themes and then actually Rescued King so let's hear all three of those wonderful music from Super Mario Brothers 3 classic than that folks mm. wonderful medley of music underappreciated music from super mario brothers 3 and underappreciated by us on this podcast first time yeah. playing all three of those pieces and to me the 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 star of that medley was that pipe maze i just think it's yeah. so Ba-da-da. funky love Da-da-da. the harmonies he incorporates this fake sense of delay in the track um, to just give the sense of atmosphere, which is so hard to do on the NES. Just really inventive writing for him and for any Nintendo game at that time. And then obviously that Rescued King theme is just so rousing and exciting. Well, I think what's interesting about Super Mario Brothers 3 in terms of what Kondo did. So if we look back historically, you know, he scored the first game, which there's not much music to it, but it's sort of like every piece is so distinctive. 
and they add up to creating the feeling of this world and the music was so dynamic and you know it's classic to everyone and mario brothers 2 i think to those living in the u.s feels like the perfect sort of sequel successor at least in terms Mm -hmm. of the music it expands upon the world and it all feels linked but for koji kondo you know he didn't write that music with mario in mind so super mario brothers 3 i know was a was a big challenge for him in terms of how do i combine everything yeah (laughs) yeah finding an approach to the music that made sense and didn't get tiresome and it's the the way that he scored this game is very different from how he would continue to write for the series and i think that's one of the reasons it's maybe one of my favorite mario scores is just because there were some choices he made that are super distinct i think that pipe maze is a perfect and, and example. we're all very grateful because the game itself and the design of the game led him to some of those choices the yeah. fact that we now had maps and map themes was such a wonderful choice and it just really led to some really cool music and immersive music well yeah the map themes are just so great they're really really short all of them are like you know yeah i think that's what's great his approach to the map themes is sort of like they almost all feel like the accompaniment to a piece of music without the melody and they still end up being very melodic and memorable but because they're so simple they're almost all like these vamps they're just vamps Um, and what's cool is they kind of explore harmonic territory that we haven't heard so far in the series and i think the way he keeps it grounded to mario is the groove elements particularly that first one you know carl was talking about with the delay and it almost sounds sort of whole tone scaly these augmented chords it's very dreamlike and atmospheric but to me the thing that keeps it attached to being mario music and not just sort of the the emotions we described is the subtle rhythmic elements and the groove elements that he keeps embedded in there it's because you know i've heard koji kondo talk about how he feels like mario music always needs to be fun and it needs to be cool from his perspective like he i think he always wants there to be some kind of groove element or something rhythmic happening well Uh, and then also another thing that i love is there's a couple of instances in Mario 3 when he's toying around with the idea of reggae music and there's a little bit of that in Pipe Maze, just a little bit in what the drums are kind of implying like you could do a reggae kind of like a really cool reggae cover of it in that way and there's other tracks too that that have that uh, implied reggae The last thing I want to talk about is that, that fanfare at the end it's just so delightful I mean very much in keeping with the vein of the sort of victory fanfares from the first and second games Mm -hmm. and from what else we hear in Mario Brothers 3 that sort of celebratory major key fanfare that utilizes kind the of three these. part writing is masterful in it too yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's like example. That, this is another example of a piece that uses that flat six flat seven one that modal borrowing um but you know there are other pieces in this style where he uses different chords but it's always that feeling of ascending chords in a major key and you're ascending upward but the way he voices it like carl was saying there's a lot of these spread open voice chords and oftentimes the bass voice is not playing the root and i think that's due to you know obviously the constraints of the hardware that if the melody 
if the melodic pitch is on the root, well, that almost ensures that the two other channels are not going to be doubling the root because they want to have the other chord tones in there. But it ends up sure. leading to this really interesting writing where, and I think what's so perfect about it in game, and again, I don't know that this was intentional, but just emotionally it fits so well. There's something both satisfying and unsatisfying about that victory jingle. Absolutely. It's satisfying in the sense kind that- of a sense of stasis. Yeah, harmonically it feels like, yay, we did it. But because there's that feeling it's of not like, there's almost no bass, yeah, it doesn't. It kind of doesn't give you that satisfying ending feeling. Absolutely, that that's a great. If point. you had infinite channels, it might be there, but it wouldn't. It like it actually would lose its ability to keep you invested. In the same way that like you know a lot of popular songs started to develop this trend of ending pieces on the four chord rather than right. the one, and it was sort of like a almost a trick by the record companies to keep it's an you infinite emotion listening on the radio <laughs> yeah you want to keep going so we have a few pieces of music to play from mario world and they're all incredibly short too so a lot of the short stuff is what we maybe not forgot before but just overlooked right so uh, we're going to do a medley from super mario world uh and it's egg is rescued course clear and fade out Course Clear and Fade Out really kind of go hand in hand to me. <laughs> so let's take a listen to this very brief medley from Super Mario World. It's, it's hilarious. I mean, this music is so iconic and familiar and beloved that it's one of those experiences where it doesn't even feel like music. It's, oh, this is just like a sound in the universe that's always existed. Right. And it, it's weird to actually think about it as music that was at some point just being composed. It's just absolutely crazy. Uh, and yeah, we had never played those melodies before on our podcast. And we have we have two more very short tracks also from Mario World today, uh, so we're doing uh, a little bit more <laughs> from Super Mario World. But yeah, that, that, I mean, I don't even know where to begin with that. The egg is rescued. It's just such a cute, adorable theme. I mean, Super Mario World, in, in so many ways, Koji Kondo is just really stretching out and going to places yeah. that, was, that weren't capable before on the NES. And, and so part of the charm that we're getting in, in the immersion of this very cute and, and colorful dinosaur land is coming from the samples and the instruments, but just the composition too. Just oh, I mean, so I, good. I think like a lot of people, I mean, the, the SNES really seems to be Koji Kondo's like peak creatively. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think some people would say maybe the N64 because you have Ocarina of Time and Mario 64, but like, I don't know. It, just what he did for both the Mario and Zelda series on the SNES is like... It was new and fresh and unlike anything we had heard, but it fit like a glove and it, it holds up so incredibly well, well. And it's just so informative. I feel like it set their trajectory. I mean, the games as well, but the music especially set the trajectory for what the series would be going forward in a Absolutely. way that the NES games... Um, they were kind of like the initial first step, but I feel like the score to Super Mario World establishes so many of the traditions that we would come to expect with Mario music, like the idea of 
you know, a, a single integrated theme or melody that gets recontextualized. Um, yeah. Yet what's so cool about Mario World is the way that he's able to do everything in one. He gets the eclecticism of the earlier games, the sort of genre bending style mix soup that's just so fun and that quirky video game aesthetic. And it also has that old world timeless charm to it. Uh, mm -hmm. But everything hangs together in this way that's even more impressive than the NES, considering the um, increase in the amount of timbral richness. You know, you're not just having, you know, two square waves and a triangle wave, and there's only so much you can do with that. It's like the, the soundtracks hold together uh, despite having all of these different tone colors at his disposal. Something that's interesting about that victory fanfare, much like a lot of the kind of ancillary music in the Mario series, it almost feels like it's composed as the ending to the principal overworld theme in the same yeah, way that we talked really about that is. victory from Mario brothers Two, feeling like an ending to that game's overworld theme. And here we see a lot of the same instrumentation that sort of swung mandolin. Well, accompaniment. and then another thing that I love is he's taking the reins and, and continuing that energy he established in Mario two, like you were talking about, Will, that twenties swanky jazzy right. sound. And he does it for the end of the stages. And eventually he does it for the staff role too. Yeah. And, and so I, mean, I that... love that that is now, you know, just officially part of the Mario sound at this point. Mm -hmm. Well, and the, the, the chord progression there, that sort of chromatically descending bass, very much a staple of kind of vaudeville, old Broadway, Tin Pan Alley songwriting. But then it's like, it, the thing the that banjo, makes it so though. classic is the, that the trombone. Banjo, though. It's like very much. The banjo is my favorite. Don't think it, don't think it, don't think it, just the best. So we have two yeah, more yeah. pieces. Uh, we have another map theme and I want to give a little shout out don't go anywhere because we're playing out with a map theme way later in the mario series but we have a map theme now from super mario world we've never played this it's so classic it's valley of bowser Bwahaha. Oh man, that slap bass pitch bend is everything. <laughs> it's so funky and cool and dissonant and it's so short, but I, when I was a kid, I mean, I would stay on this for a long time and just groove out to it. It's such a great groove. It really gets you excited. <laughs> Valley of Bowser by Koji. Yeah, what's amazing about this is especially considering how many years this was before uh, you think about, like, you know, what Mihito Yakoda did with the Bowser theme from 3D World. The yes, absolutely. That sort of bluesy, swanky approach that felt so spot on for the character. Um, yet, it, when you kind of go back and look, what Koji Kondo was doing in both Mario 64, which almost had this sort of like... It was Prague. Quasi Prague and almost like a hip-hop flavor to some yeah. of the energy of that theme. And then you dude, listen to this, that's dude, also dude, very proggy. It's like yeah. he was almost ahead of being ahead of the curve. Like this music is so it's interesting. So cool. Because Bowser isn't just characterized as sort of like a classical movie villain. He could have opted for like 
orchestral dark music but again this is mario so it needs to be rooted to the world of like cool fun band music so the chords that he's using are these really edgy you know based in fourths quartal chords that have a tritone in them so they're very dissonant and upsetting and it's the kind of harmonies again that we hear from kondo throughout the mario and zelda series whenever there's points of real tension or darkness yet that's sitting on top of this really cool funky slap bass groove well and then one of the many reasons why this works so well when you get to valley of bowser is because he set up a very similar map theme in vanilla dome a really groove based funky map theme and so when you when you hear this valley of bowser it's not coming out of left field right yeah and it's cool he does it's an eclectic sound set in Super Mario World, yet it feels like there are some set of rules or there's some kind of limitations that he's imposing on the score. Mm-hmm. There are certain instruments that feel like on brand and certain ones that he would never use, uh, yet the overall score can feel so eclectic. And I think a track like this is almost... It, it feels like Kondo is, is stretching the boundaries almost as far as he possibly could for what is the the um the sort of genre or style of the music for Super Mario World. This this yep. track is so outside of the typical convention, but it's mm-hmm. the very last map for the game. And the stakes are so high, and I think he so smartly chose this opportunity to take this sort of musical chance. But again, like all the map themes, it's an incredibly brief loop. Yep. Uh, you know, it's just sort of statement, chord up, chord down, and now we're back. It's like I love really Koji's simple. Maps. But yeah. <laughs> Because the thing is, is like you really don't want the map thing to be so complex and gorgeous that you just linger on the map forever. It's meant to just be functional music as you go from one stage to another. Yet even in these short loops, he couldn't help but be so genius that for so many of them, a lot of us, you know... I did stay on the map. I know like for Donut Plains, I would just stay and listen to that loop continuously because it's so beautiful. So let's put ourselves in this context. We just defeated Bowser and this is what we hear. We've never played this before in the podcast. It's Princess Peach is Rescued. We'll have to imagine that, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's so hard not to hear that. Um, so one of my favorite things about Super Mario World, when it comes to the sound, those instruments are really ambiguous, actually. Like, the main instrument, like, when we were doing our album, we called it, like, soft wind lead. I don't know what we called it, like, soft it was something woodwind pipe. or something. We thought yeah, of it and it it's like, like a pipe, like He uses organ. it as strings, all the time like that like you know okay it's strings but then he also uses it as like synth chords it's like what is that instrument it's just the mario world instrument it's so classic this is such a beautiful piece of music and such a perfect setup uh and you know kind of a lower energy to the bow 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 the jazzy staff roll just oh man it's so good and and like will said earlier this is really reminiscent of some of the final kind of fanfares that we got in the series previously but it's maybe a little bit more sensitive here on the super nintendo yeah i mean the sound set he chose is really so perfect that ambiguity you described really highlights the utility of it it's like you can use that tone in a 
in a stately way like this. It's, yep. it's sort of regal. And particularly the chords he's using, these very clustery, diatonic chords. Um, it evokes kind of jazz orchestra music, the mm-hmm. world of big band, but also kind of a lush, beautiful arrangement with strings. Yet there are other times these same instruments can function as a melodic lead like for instance in the underwater you know it's the same instrument it's kind of crazy no matter how he uses it it's so charming i mean these samples are just very charming i think that's why he picked them he wanted sounds that were pleasing that people would enjoy listening to over and over again none of these sounds are shrill you know i feel like mario brothers 3 in some ways its predominant musical genre is latin music whether it's meant to be like reggae or just various styles of Latin is sort of Mm -hmm. the predominating genre. And I think it's because uh, one of the main overworlds uses it. A lot of the map themes have that sort of sound. The DPCM percussion samples tend to feature. The timbales. Yeah. 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 Um, But I feel like the predominant genre in Super Mario World is like is jazz and yeah. whether that's jazz kind and of bluegrass kind of <laughs> or ragtime yeah, i think that's true i mean you kind of have the like stride piano style of jazz that we hear in some of the tracks yet something like this can feel it feels like the introduction to and that's really what it is functionally this piece of music serves as the introduction to a big big band ending you Absolutely. know that 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 the credits theme really feels like a big band, both compositionally in terms of the chords and the timbres he uses. And this is like a nice little delicate. What's so it's cool a segue. is for scoring Princess Peach, it's this beautiful, um, I, it's such a throwback. It's royal, it feels like it's the romantic. way that like a damsel would have been scored in like an old Hollywood film yeah. from the 30s. Like it's really beautiful and regal and elegant and feminine, but there's something so old-fashioned and pastiche about his approach here. But like all of Kondo's music, it's so successful because it really feels earnest. There's no part of this that feels like he's writing, you know, kids music or it's tongue in cheek. Like he's really committing to every style and writing thoughtful melodies. And I think that's why the music for many people, I mean, for myself, it always resonated as just very sincere. Oh, but I think to people who hear the music and feel like it adds to maybe the humor or the charm of the games, I think it works also it works because on so many of its levels. sincerity. It's just such a treat we get to talk about this music today. So we're going to move on to Yoshi's Island, and we have two tracks from Yoshi's Island today. And they're not quite as short as some of the stuff we just played, but they're pretty short here. Uh, the first thing we're going to do is a lot of times overlooked. <laughs> it's Yoshi Start Demo, again, composed by Koji. Let's take a listen. Thank you. 
Absolutely gorgeous. A lot of the music in Yoshi's Island is very cinematic, and I kind of have to remind myself of that. Just really emotional stuff. Um, And yeah, for whatever reason, we never played this on the podcast. There's a lot of music that happens in the beginning of the experience. Obviously, you have the lullaby, which we've played. Uh, The track after this, we've played. (laughs) Um, But yeah, wow. I find it so hard to believe we haven't played this because this is really I, I mean this sincerely this is one of my absolute favorite koji kondo compositions ever like i just think it's so beautiful it, it's so far beyond video game music honestly like it's it, it not to say that it's like cinematic but it's so sophisticated i mean the, his approach to the roboto feel and in, in the tempo the so sensitive yeah it really sensitive and the chords the harmonies that are evoked we get these ninth and 13th chords it's so expansive and beautiful and full of emotion and pain and longing and it's like really what what is so fantastic to me about Kondo's approach on not only this game but every game that he scores is he takes the emotions serious in a way that sometimes it almost feels like I I can't imagine that the designers of the game even did. Like, this is a cute game about the Yoshis carrying baby Mario, but what Koji Kondo does, you really feel like this little band of friends. more about it just because of the music. They're looking after this baby, and they're deciding to embark on this adventure, and it's full of so much emotion. It gives me the feeling that I would have when thinking about my own family or something really personal. And the fact that Kondo puts that level of pain and and beauty into it is just so remarkable to me. There's some wonderful Yoshi music in the series that would come. There's some really terrible (laughs) music in the series to come. But one thing I will say is no one really remembered how Koji scored these opening moments. Um, Even in soundtracks that I like, all the other opening moments were just really cutesy and kitty and silly and nothing this emotional. Yeah, they completely missed uh, the point of, I think, why... Like, you can't overstate the importance of the music because I think every Yoshi game, in terms of gameplay, is is quite strong. Like, the later Yoshi games, they are worthy successors of Yoshi's Island from a mechanical standpoint, and honestly, a lot of them from a visual standpoint. The original Yoshi's Island has such a great visual design, maybe one of the most Mm -hmm. beautiful games for the Super Nintendo. Um, But where they all fall short, including, you know, the great ones, like the one scored by Tomoya Tamita, they fall short in the music because I think they miss the point of how that music functioned that it wasn't there just to be like cutesy and innocent it was right. there to take the emotions really seriously so it, it, i think what's so what comes across as authentic about that is moments that are cute moments that are funny moments that are tender they feel right. really earned and kind of surprising because the music isn't giving away the joke. And that's something that so many composers, I feel like well, particularly and then the Western thing, composers, misunderstand all the time. Well, and then the last thing I wanted to say, and it was so clear that Koji really wanted to make sure that this still felt like Mario music, you know? Yes, it's a, it's, I guess you right. could say it's a spin-off game, but the sense of emotion, he he, wa- he wanted to, to, to retain that. So uh, this is crazy. Yes, 
we've never played this before. I know we've played this melody on our 64 episode all those years ago, but we never played it on this, so it's an excuse to do so. This is the first time this came up, and such an iconic melody for the series. It's Powerful Infant, composed by Koji from Yoshi's Island. You guys are listening to the remarkable powerful infant and it's just two chords and it's just like crazy will was saying when we were listening like he already wrote this theme years years ago and he's now adding a melody to it and completely reinvigorating it to the point where when i was a kid i like had to scratch my head and, oh is this just the starman oh yeah it's basically just the starman vamp with a gorgeous melody that feels so empowering and relaxing, perfect for the powerful infant stages because you know you're invincible and you're you finally get to play as baby Mario and it's it's just so beautiful. Such a great decision that he came back to this theme for 64, yeah. which a lot of people associate with it more. I think more people played 64 possibly, but um yeah, this is where it started. It's interesting to me that particular tune that he has on top of it because it, first of all, it's very chromatic. In the melody, the initial melodic motif starts with this ascending chromatic, yada-da, mm-hmm. and then eventually, yada-da. You know, it, he, using that, it's, it's um, and to me, something about that ties it into the, like, mysticism of the Mario world, whether it's, like, the warp zones or the that feeling of magic and wonder and mysticism. And oh, almost yeah, like a so slight, magical. like... Um, Middle Eastern undertones to Well, it. and then it was so natural, and I totally understand why he chose it, because it's used in, well, it's used in a couple contexts in 64, but the one that I think of is flying. Right. You know, flying through the sky, there's something so perfect about that melody. It captures it perfectly. Like, if he tried to make a new melody for that, nothing would have been as perfect as this one. So I'm really glad well, that he used the, it for that. The other thing that's amazing about it is the melody for, I so I talked about the chromaticism but if you were just to play this tune on the piano, forget the vamp, pretend you've never heard the piece of music mm-hmm. it ends up sounding rather I think it would sound diatonic to different keys than it really is and I think that's yeah. because of how it's placed against the Starman vamp it ends up feeling like oftentimes the melody resolves to the ninth or it resolves well, and, to the seventh or and a I think new what, one of the things you're getting at will in maybe the most impressive thing about this out of any piece that has this quality is it masks and disguises the really minimal ingredients that this song is it's two chords that repeats over and over but the melody makes you forget that and the melody makes it feel like it's this longer piece and it's so genius it's two chords that it's two chords that play but because um the first chord you hear isn't the tonic chord it 
it really is perfect for a loop. It's like, it's the same thing he does. Like a lot of times he'll have that progression of going four major seven to one major seven, you know, like the Ocarina of Time. Yeah, da, 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 yeah. It's the same thing, but because you don't start on the one, mm-hmm. you're kind of bathing in this ambiguity. And the the Starman theme does that so effectively, but this melody further obscures things because it it feels like this great sort of run on sentence and it perfect for a loop. But yeah, it's like these simple elements, but the the groove of da 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 the bass now such a strong groove. And then it's such a great melody. Yeah, good point that really simple. You only need a few ingredients, but if they're carefully chosen and used at just the right amount, I think you can create something really perfect in a way that if you just constantly add and add and add, this is why I think, you know, more notes is not better. More complex harmonies isn't inherently better. It's it's really about how you use the tools. Yeah. So a surprisingly short number of months after this game, 64 was released and we've basically played everything from that. Right. For the most part. So we're going to skip that over and go on to 2002's Super Mario Sunshine and a mind-boggling <laughs> choice here. We've never played Bianco Hills. That the very can't first be stage possible. theme. It is possible. I, it's wild. I cry foul. <laughs> well, Will, you know something that needs to be said is we've never done a Mario Sunshine episode. So how crazy is that? Okay. So, <laughs> what? That's so We've never sad done to a me. Sunshine spotlight. Uh, well, so it'll happen. That makes more it'll sense. happen in future <laughs> Nintendo months, folks. All right. Bianco Hills from Mario Sunshine by Koji Kondo. You guys are listening to Bianco Hills, and we've played all this great music, you know, beloved music, but what's so crazy, this is hitting me in the nostalgia (laughs) zone harder than anything we've played so far. That's so crazy. I love this game and this music. It's Bianco Hills from Super Mario Sunshine. Uh, It's cool to listen to this on headphones, because most of the, you know, 99% of the hours I've enjoyed this music was on a TV, Um, and so you're not appreciating some of the interesting stereo panning choices and, and mixing choices and stuff like that what a delightful first stage theme so so good oh man it's just, it's just the best it's classic mario but it's also bringing it into some 
some new directions too. I love this final sort of bridge section. It is it's so Zelda y too. Yeah. That chord progression where it goes the flat two to one. Well, and yeah, so right. here's here's one thing, one of many things that I don't hear Sunshine get enough praise for is yes, Mario Galaxy ushered in in some ways the orchestral sound, uh, but there's a lot of cinematic moments in Mario Sunshine that kind of started that. Like if it wasn't for Sunshine, it just Galaxy, you know, we might not have had that idea. Right. Like there's well, definitely I mean, moments in Sunshine where there's a new level of filmic Well, and you emotion. could arrange this for orchestra and it's right at home. You have strings, you have woodwinds. I mean, there's a piccolo line on top. And especially there's some of the kind of cutscene tracks, you know, in the there's game. There's harp. Yeah, you really get a sense of like how he would arrange this for orchestra and that tambourine. It's so... It's so Mario. It's just it, yeah. it's a perfect choice, and this really is kind of like the main overworld theme of the game. Um, it, it, but I think most people associate this melody to Delfino Plaza, which is the first time you hear it. Right. Uh, but I, this is such a delightful. You know, Carl and I were talking about we really like that bassline. Mm, bum 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 bum. The way he it's leaps really cool. up to that note is sort of distinctive. But yeah, I think you and I have so much nostalgia for this because this is, I think, the first Mario game where we owned the console that it came yeah. out of and we played it when it came out where it's like all these other games, at least for me, I grew up with them already existing or I imagine if you played ways, them, you played them at friends' yeah. houses or on an emulator or something. I mean, I have so much love all across the series, but in s there's certain qualities to Mario Sunshine that uh, I'll never be as excited for, <laughs> yeah. for any game. Okay, totally. <laughs> let's let's move on now to a DS game, New Super Mario Brothers. And there's actually two tracks that I wanted to play today um, because there's a lot of music we've never played from this game. Um, I think this series, the new Super Mario Brothers series, does represent maybe some <laughs> some gripes eventually that yeah. we have musically. Uh, but this first game has a lot of wonderful music. Let's play Underwater. Yeah, the first game is so much better than I think a lot of people remember because I yeah. think most people think of the Wii one and look, there's good mm -hmm. stuff on the Wii game. I particularly mm -hmm. like, uh, Shiho Fuji's underwater. We're theme not playing, from that game. uh, yeah. Anything from that today, but yeah, <laughs> but, the, the later, the, once they get to the console, the new super Mario, it's just super underwhelming related to the series. Yeah. But I do think the original DS game has some great map. Themes great. The, that, I mean, the Koji's main overworld thing is like, one of his best of all yeah. time. There's some yeah, great so music in this game. We've never played this. It's the Underwater World theme. Uh, that's at least what this track is called. I don't know what other people refer to it as. Underwater World from New Super Mario Brothers, either by Asuka Oda or Hajime Wakai. Here we go.
You guys are listening to, <laughs> yeah, the underwater theme from New Super Mario Brothers. Will was saying it's so sunshiny. It really is. I mean, a very similar era here. Just a little bit of time after uh, Mario Sunshine. Yeah, this is a, I can't believe we've never played this because this feels so classic to me. Yeah, it's adorable. Yeah, I mean, particularly that B section, that yeah, da 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 da. I mean, that's like Mario in a nutshell. That's Koji Kondo in a nutshell. Like that really heartfelt progression. The one difference between this and an actual Kondo piece is, I'd say, there's maybe about too cutesy, a little cutesy, and about sixty percent more notes than Koji <laughs> would use. Like this is yeah, this is a true. good first pass, but he would distill this down to something a lot purer. It's a, yeah, it's a cute piece. It's it's a classic piece, but yeah, it doesn't have his level of melodic craft and his yeah. zen approach at all. But there's aspects to this that what things that I really like that Koji would never do. Like I was saying Sunshine not because it reminds me of Koji stuff but because it reminds me of Shinobu Nagata's stuff like the Noki Bay or the Sandbird um, and the the sort of yeah. dreamy harmony and really she and she brought such a great new energy to Sunshine. It was actually a real gift that that score was a collaboration. And I mean, this is very much like if there was something tempt, quote unquote, for this like before this music was written. I feel like the reference track <laughs> for this is the Sandbird. The bum bum yeah, absolutely. Well, we have one more great piece to play from New Super Mario Brothers that we've never played. And this is probably another either Ota or Wakai composition. It's in this soundtrack version, it's called Main Boss Castle. Here we go. You guys are listening to Main Boss Castle, and I love that we're transitioning to some other <laughs> composers and some other approaches in this part of the playlist with New Super Mario Brothers as as this you know wipe point. Um, it's fascinating going from Koji's music uh, and you know just some of his best work in his, his periods when he's so creative to this. It is a little bit challenging. I think this is a good castle track, and it yeah. feels classic to me. Um, it a doesn't scream Mario. Yeah, a bit generic. It, it's it's interesting going to this. Yeah, it loses the what makes this here. Where the last one, you know, I, I could maybe say it's not as refined a composition, but it's unmistakably Mario. And this is just, it's a castle theme. It's dark and classical, but you could yep. put it in a DS Castlevania game and you wouldn't know the difference. I mean, maybe you'd have slightly different instrumentation, but it just feels a little generic in the way that a lot of the music to this series does, both in terms of mm-hmm. instrumentation and 
just general composition. That that's that isn't to say it isn't good. It's very strong. I think it's a good melody. I think it's well written. It's it's satisfying. It's memorable. Um, but it just yeah, it it, it lacks something and i it's it's hard to articulate what makes something mario because this is a long running series that has had quite a few different musical approaches over the years by different composers and sometimes by the same composers mhm and i think what it is uh, the the only thing I can come back to is I think Mario music at its core must be earnest. And I think the proof of that is look at the music Koji did for Odyssey, like the weird, cool, progressive stuff, um, like particularly some of the boss music he did. Yeah. The steam gardens. It's it's the not Bowser's music Castle. that is tongue in cheek. It's music that feels super earnest and like it's trying to. Um, be whether if it's emotional, it's really committing to the emotions. If it's kind of fun and funky, it's legitimately trying yeah. to succeed in those genres. And guys, are we going to get one more Koji track today? That's a big question. Let's see as we move on. We're moving on to a couple tracks from Super Mario Galaxy, which came out in 2007. And a lot of incredible leftovers on the first and second Galaxy <laughs> score. We could have done this episode just on those two games. So really a lot of hard choices, but we really got to talk about Purple Comet. We've never played it before. It's composed by Mihiro Yakoda. As some of you know, uh, this is a really awesome theme that eventually does go into the Gusty Garden melody, but it starts off with its own piece. And to me, it's a really classic and fun memory from Mario Galaxy. So let's take a listen to Purple Comet. You guys are listening to Purple Comet, which which is so so underrated. Um, it's it perfectly blends together two sounds that Yakota established on Mario Galaxy. I mean, or Koji. I mean, Koji kind of established the orchestral sound with Good Egg, obviously. But so it combines that, and it combines the sillier side and also the the more galactic atmospheric spacey side all into one piece of music when the, when the um 
gusty melody comes in. It's just so beautiful. It's such a fun arrangement, though. A yeah. mixture of some electronic sounds with orchestral. It's. I think it's just one of the most underrated tracks in yeah, Galaxy. I mean, it's a delightful composition. The way it functions as a medley. The way he returns back into the loop in such a thoughtful way, compositionally speaking, like that little motive of that drives the whole thing. Yep. Yet you get you go on all these journeys that the principal melody is like so Mario Galaxy. Like in yeah. every way. The rhythms being in kind of octave strings when, gives this When I was disco listening quality. to the score and like going through tracks that we hadn't played when this came up it was just like i have to include this that melody yeah. is just so classic to me i think about that cr- that classic stage you know the classic mario's face stage we're getting all of the coins yeah 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 well one of my favorite um moments of this is that sort of circle so of fitzy progression but with that instrument it screams yakoda it's just so him his sensibility of melody harmony and those synth colors it makes me think of buoy bass and we get some of those interesting um yeah you get those really interesting chords and stuff and then that leads into the gusty garden melody in sort of a key change and with all this modulating and the track is moving in all these places to get back to the loop i think this is a great track to study for kind of how to make contemporary loopable video game music that's like melodic and active and doesn't feel like it's restrained to just one key or one vibe the entire time. I was alluding to this, but one of the sides of Galaxy that are very is very overlooked for us when it comes to music is boss themes. Um, and I want to play one of my favorites from Galaxy. It's King Caliente composed by Yakoda. Here we go. You guys are listening to King Caliente, and this is a boss theme that I know for a fact Koji signed off on and probably <laughs> loved, because yeah. it actually reminds me of his boss writing, while also exploring a new kind of devious sound, and part of it is getting those those synths, you know, those sync leads, and getting those timbres that we had never really heard mm-hmm. in a Mario game before. Um, yeah, and there's some Mario boss music uh, of the slightly modern generation that is a little bit obnoxious. I think this for some is of the perfect, same reasons, a perfect mix though. Love this track. Yeah, I totally agree, and I think it's because it blends 
uh, acoustic and, and synth um, with the sort of piano bass. It's so retro. I mean, it, it, and especially with this bluesy thing, it will make the drums you think are really cool. Mission Impossible or the Peter Gunn theme, or it's like in that sort of canon. So there's something retro about it. But then adding the synths, it just perfectly complements everything. But yeah. the composition is so strong. Like the melody, is, there's very much that economy of notes idea. Mm-hmm. I really love that B section with the saxophones. That's so freaking Koji-ish. It's It's very Koji with these chordal chords or these sort of sus chord moving in parallel harmony. Just delightful. This is one that I wish would have gotten... Um, like a a rescored, like a big band version, version for the second mm. game with actual big band instruments with real piano because it totally deserves it. It's an excellent piece of music. Well, speaking of the second game, we're gonna play two tracks from Super Mario Galaxy Two, and they both happen to be wonderful Nagamatsu compositions that were definitely overlooked by us. It's crazy we haven't played either of these two. I love both of these. This first one. Uh, I think when I first played the game, it slightly annoyed me. It it has a little bit of a teasing quality to it, but I think it's a really cute and wonderful composition with some great violin performance. Really fits the stage as well. Yes, the stage yes. is kind of this bizarre abstract like there's no it's all floating in space. So it's just yeah. all these wooden platforms floating in space, but it doesn't look like space. It looks like a blue sky. <laughs> so it's really great bizarre. music. Puzzle Plank Galaxy by Ryo Nagamatsu. You guys are listening to Puzzle Plank Galaxy, and I adore Nagamatsu's additions and his energy that he added to the Galaxy 2 score. It's silly music a lot of the times. Uh, a lot of the times it's also very noty music, but something about his style I just, I'm just such a fan of, and this is really one of my favorite tracks of his on Galaxy 2. It's just so fun, and it does scream Mario. I could also hear Koji really liking this one and smiling this one when he heard it. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's not something he would ever do, but it's composed in it earnest. I think it's like it's really in a different genre. I mean, it's got this very folk, Celtic or Scandinavian with the fiddle. Um, and, and, and bringing and it in does the, that really authentically, the but then the spacey synth yeah. ties it together. I will say, well, my only, you might agree. my only criticism of this track is the MIDI guitar. It's just a really awkward, bad. <laughs> I wonder if it was a placeholder they forgot. 
Well, it's just also weird to record a real violinist, which I think, it, 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 from my experience, is like more of a rare thing to find a great fiddle player and record them. But like everyone can play guitar. It's not a hard guitar part. You just kind of weird some well, chords. You would probably agree with me that if I will say if this track had fake violin, it, it, we would never play. I mean, it just, it would not have the right. same effect. I mean, you have to have that real fiddle player on this one. Right. Oh, totally. Yeah, I just wish they could uh, do the same track with some real guitar, <laughs> and then I, I think it would be perfect. Then Will would fully sign off. Okay, uh, let's play one more track from Nagamatsu from the score. It's Fleet Glide Galaxy. guys are listening to an incredible track from mario galaxy 2 that we have never played it's fleet glide galaxy by nagamatsu and he came in with so many ideas and really knocked out of the park every really every single one of his tracks it was such a wonderful composer to add to galaxy 2 and he came in he fit like a glove and he really respected uh what yakota had established but the stuff that he added just outstanding and i always forget that he he's had you know in this score some of the most exciting orchestral moments are are nagamatsu's in some ways oh yeah i mean he if i'm correct didn't he write the final stage theme that or that kind of yes i think so i yeah i know that he he also composed another really outstanding lava track yeah. but i should go back and see. i might be wrong it might be yukoda for that but i thought it was nagamatsu um yeah i mean he's so incredible and very reverential not only of style but yukoda's motifs i mean the way he hearkens to them bum, 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 bum. but again he doesn't yeah. set it in the lydian here bum, 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 bum. He, he makes it a little more a slight alteration of it but mm-hmm. that motivic integration is something that doesn't happen very much on these scores in the few moments it does Man, it's effective because it it starts to make the game feel well more cinematic, and it it's in keeping with Mario tradition of having yeah. melodies that carry across different levels and different jingles and stage themes and all of it, where it doesn't feel like that's what keeps the music um, feeling distinct to this project. That it's not just um, it's not just the palette. It's not just some melodic 
orchestra and synth track it's like by by calling back to that earlier melody you're kind of saying this is all part of the world of galaxy and also i will say that some of nagamatsu's galaxy 2 compositions are so imaginative and eclectic and surprising that i think they were definitely pieces that later composers looked at uh you Mm -hmm. know composers such as kubo in in Odyssey, I mean, yeah. just so much imagination, and from a production standpoint, I mean, a really exciting piece of music. Yeah, I, I, that's I think that's totally spot on. Um, his influence, and the other thing that's just so cool about this is, you know, they all had the opportunity to write for these orchestral instruments, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of great orchestra music. And I think the way, especially in the first game, to me, it's like you had the synth tracks, which were all synth, and then you had the mm-hmm. orchestra tracks, which were pretty much all orchestra with the exception of maybe that one great the galaxy lead synth yeah pulse or um kind of sign tone lead the mm-hmm. kind of spacey thing which is amazing but what's cool about nagamatsu's tracks is i feel like he really wanted to integrate the electronic and orchestral elements um, to a great so much degree. more tightly, yeah, tightly together. Yeah, and it's really cool that you know we have this kind of big brass and string sound, yet we also have all this electronic percussion and mixture of yeah. like acoustic drums with electronic drums and synth, uh, you know, counter melodies and all this stuff with just the outstanding orchestra. work. Really cool. So this is this is mind-boggling. We're moving on to a piece from Super Mario 3D Land, and we've never played the overworld theme. We've never played this melody on the podcast. That's um, hard to believe. It's crazy. This is composed by Mihito Yakoda. It's for Super Mario 3D Land. Let's take a listen to the overworld. You guys are listening to the Overworld from Super Mario 3D Land. It's very Mario. Um, I will say it's never been one of my favorite Yakota compositions. Um, it's it's good. It's effective. But yeah, this actually falls into a similar category as some of the new Super Mario stuff, where it's it's just a little bit too noty for me. Um, but it, it it's definitely really effective for, especially for this game. I had a great time with 3D Land. Um, it did kind of feel like felt like a portable mario game it didn't feel like on the same level as something you play on a console yeah Um, but that being said it's a delightful track the bass is super funky what's interesting is yakoda i think in the you know 3d land 3d world he really understands the if there's a formula to mario music or writing a mario overworld he understands it he gets the harmonies he gets the idea of when to make something a sequence versus when to break it the problem that i have yeah again it's just the underlying motive that sets it all off is just not that appealing to me. But up, but up, but up, but up, but up, It's like yep. it's just way a little too annoying. Much. The the integration of the triplet into that thing is just it's it's too 
It's it's too much spice. It's like if Koji would do something like that, he would save the triplet for like the very end of the phrase or some part in the B section. But to, it's like to me, it just asserts itself in a kind of arrogant way. It comes across a little unself-aware. And Koji's music never sounds like that to me. And so and I guess the problem silly. is when you're like getting there's, there's this a close, silliness to this track, right? When you're getting this close to when you're getting this close to the style of Kondo, but not quite nailing it, unfortunately, my experience was that it ended up feeling a little insulting. It felt like Mm -hmm. kind of a caricature of Mario, and it didn't feel earnestly composed. That being said, I do think he loves that that style and was doing his best, uh, but yeah, it just ends up feeling a little inauthentic. What I find interesting is, that could have been intentional. You know, it could have been intentional for this game. It was a portable game. It had a 3D gimmick. It was called Super Mario 3D Land. Right. I mean, maybe that was intentional. And there's some great music uh, that we've played before from 3D Land, like the beach theme <laughs> as an example. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad we finally got to play that track. It's it's good for sure. Let's move on to a score that I absolutely love. It's Super Mario 3D World. And there's two pieces today we're going to play one of which is our playout. So don't go anywhere, guys, because we have a great map theme from 3D World as our playout. But right now, let's play a wonderful track, Conk Door Canyon, which was composed either by Toru Minigishi or Yasuaki Iwata. Here we go. You guys listening to Conkdor Canyon. It's from 3D World, and this track isn't about a knockout melody. It's not really about the musical ingredients, just about the full package. It's a really fun arrangement. I love the instrument choice. I love how they're evoking some of those ethnic cliches. Uh, it's very playful. It sounds very good. Uh, it's funny, these are two wonderful Zelda composers, and this track ends up feeling kind of Zelda very much yeah uh i love it tells me this is uh yasuaki iwata um because i know tor minigishi did that sprawling savannah um area uh and i but i i mean i think this could be either of them Mm -hmm. uh yeah it's very zelda particular the I love that. That that's maybe the most Koji part of it. That feels like that could I could picture that tune in the way it's set in like um Yoshi's Island. I like the way that it almost feels like it key changes into that yeah. temporarily. I love the track. Uh, the it's arrangement a fun is, piece is of music. really nice. It's 
it did strike me as so cliche the first time I heard it, just because it's like... Yeah, it's something that I've warmed up to. Yeah, I mean, b- both the sort of like Arabian like, well, cliche like, aspects, but don't you totally the... understand why we didn't include this back when we did that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably in 2014, maybe 2015. Like, it's... Yeah. yeah. There's I, no I think way there's we would have included something just this. about the ornamented nature of it in its... I don't know. It just feel. It felt like a little bit like low hanging fruit. Like just that kind of style I've heard so many times. But man, I gotta say, in in the years since it, 3D World is a phenomenal game and score. I mean, just so so good. Like better than any of us were expecting it to be, or like prepared for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, really cool arrangements. And what is cool about the Conk Door Canyon is um, the stage itself, it, it isn't very cliche. Like, it has yeah. deserty elements. Like, there's sand and stuff, if I remember correctly. But there's also these, like, weird bird ostrich creatures. And a lot of right. the, the stage is, like, just sort of platforming on these more stone pillars and stuff. So it's not they didn't really have license to go full desert music on this one. And so I do thing. think the music ends up being a little more eclectic and a blend of things. Um, and yeah, it's, it's very well done, but I think it is, is difficult. You know, I think the context of bringing in all these non Koji Kondo composers to write for Mario, and then you get all these super noty melodies, right? It just, it, it does feel a little bit like, Oh man, we're losing that clarity, that sort of feeling of Mar, you know, with Mario world, every single track is without flaw. It's just like this perfect score that hangs together. And I think you can, you can't get that when there's five composers on a soundtrack. I just, I don't know. Well, Will, it sounds like you're craving some some Koji and maybe some really weird Koji. Let's oh, do it. I, I we have one more Koji track, track. The whole episode. And our name of today is Forgotten Mushrooms. And so, of course, we're going to play Forgotten Isle. I absolutely love this track. And I love this stage in Odyssey. It's so fun. Uh, this is from <laughs> Super Mario Odyssey. And it actually was composed by Koji Kondo. If you guys might remember it, it's that really out there kind of ethnic 11.8 track. It's 11.8 <laughs> is not a meter that we get to hear all that often in music. And so that already is really surprising. Um, but yeah, this piece yeah, is it's like the mixture. It, it's a mixture between like Gamelan music and uh, kind of like progressive experimental rock. It, it's but so he nails it. I mean, it's it so just, Koji. yeah, he nails it. Let's take a listen to Forgotten Isle from Odyssey. Thank you. 
<laughs> you guys are listening to Forgotten Isle from Super Mario Odyssey composed by Koji Kondo. And it's like, I get the sense like he's trying, even when he's maybe trying to be annoying, he, he just can't. He, it's, it's, there's he something can't help but be so melodic. catchy. <laughs> about that melody and it's so weird i mean this is a very weird track but there's an emotion that this track has when you fall down to this island it's such a cool moment it's really one of my favorite moments in the game yeah it's so fun it's so different from all the other worlds and that was i think the main goal right it's like okay we have to make this music feel like you're in another era in like a totally different planet and he nailed it yeah, very much. And Koji sort of scored all the music of this stage. So he also scored kind of the when Cappy's been stolen and he uses yeah. the timbral palette for the Forgotten Isle. So that sound of whether it's like glass marimba or these sort of like metal, you know, pitch percussion. We have regular marimba and we have, I think he's very much imitating gamelan, particularly with the scales. Yeah. You know, it's all these sort of Phrygian and, and, pentatonic you know, sounds. One of the main gifts of this score is to get almost all real performance. I mean, there's so much performance on the score and a track like this comes alive. The sense of imagination that you get from these players and these interesting instruments that we don't get to hear a lot either. And so, yeah, yeah. It, it really transports you away. Yeah, it's it's so cool. And I, I'm so glad they gave, or maybe it was Koji's choice, but to, to score this moment, because this is one where, you know, you want to nail the emotions and you want to do it sincerely. And I mean, yeah. he's so good at this. I mean, I think Naoto Kubo was also really good at this and what i really yeah. love about his odyssey tracks is to me he was less concerned with i guess like nailing the mario formula in terms of like writing a very prototypical mario no theme, that but was more not the getting intention. into the spirit of what that music was always trying to accomplish so like if you listen to new donk city to me, it actually leans further into the genres that Koji was trying to pastiche which rather than imitate Koji himself, which um, ends up, it ended up being more successful, in my opinion, than like the 3D world uh, main melody. Yeah, I agree. And also, guys, I mean, it feels so good to now end our episode with a Koji track. Odyssey was a very fulfilling full circle experience yeah um especially for the music and so that's really great don't go anywhere because our playout is world three from super mario 3d world um composed by yakoda it's a wonderful map theme that we for some weird reason have never played before so thanks everyone for joining us for this episode and for this whole month we had a blast and finally you know we got to play some some really great pieces from the series that have been kind of dusted you know sitting on the shelf waiting for their turn so what a fun time Absolutely. Yeah, this Nintendo month was um, really delightful. I, I had a blast. I hope you did too, Carl. Yes, I had a great time. It was one of the most fun Nintendo months. And guys, next week, we may or may not have an in-person episode with each other. Most of the episodes we do these days are, you know, ha having to do remotely. So look forward to a fun episode next week. Yeah. And, um, you know, some of you are probably noticing in terms of our episode count that we are fast approaching uh, 500 episodes, which is kind of huge. And we're not ready to speak right now as to what's going to happen on that 500th episode and what's going to happen after it. 
but we will uh, definitely keep you abreast of <laughs> our plans because yes. we have some exciting things cooking for kind of... Indeed, we um, do. I guess I'll say maybe a new chapter of this podcast. And Carl and I have been uh, really excited to unveil some of our ideas, but we're not quite ready to do that. So hopefully this cryptic <laughs> this cryptic message I'm leaving you will whet your appetites for something. And but. speaking of that excitement, I also wanted to give one more plug for Sonic-esque Flash Field, which is really fast approaching. If you're listening to this on release, it's coming out the following Friday. It's coming out on the December 3rd. I'm going to be having a listening party on December 2nd on YouTube that night. So definitely mark that in your calendar. Really excited to unveil this album with everyone. I think that's about it. Stick around for World 3. Anything else you got at the end, Will? Yeah, the only last thing that I want to say is uh, if you're interested in coming to our 10th anniversary celebration, which will be held at VGM Con this which year. You which you all is, should, really, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you might want to you know, book your hotel reservations and make your travel arrangements now. Very soon. Um yeah, because we don't know how fast that stuff is going to fill up. and But we hope, you know, what I'm excited about is I think uh, that we're going to do our best to have a really fun um, celebration and sort of 10th anniversary bash. But the thing is, is don't just come for our sake. You, If you listen to this podcast, you're going to love VGMCon. They always have a great complement of composers and uh, fellow game music aficionados Indeed. doing panels and there's so many incredible live performances uh, i think the for us you know hearing the great live music um is definitely the highlight of vgm con and has been in the past and yeah. i'm so looking forward to this year because especially if you know more of our wonderful listeners are able to make it out i think we can have we can make this a really special and memorable year so let's have a yeah, great just time. to get on that the dates are april 1st through the 3rd and yeah it's not going to be april fools this is this, <laughs> this is, not is a real joke. all right guys thank you so much for joining us my name is carl brugeman and i'm will brugeman have a great week everybody peace out mm-hmm.